Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 076. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. As we were planning out this family-ish series, I asked some people what kind of topics they would find useful. One suggestion was the topic of gender roles in the family. I was truly intrigued by the suggestion, but as the calendar would work out, we didn't get to cover the topic live, but I knew I had addressed it in the past, so I wanted to put it out there as a bonus episode to the series. Does the episode start out with the world's most popular Bible passage? No. But does it give us something that can make our family stronger? I certainly hope so. Check it out. But have you ever noticed how it can be so much easier to be kind to be compassionate to somebody that you see on an occasional basis as compared to how it would be somebody you see every day or heaven forbid somebody in your family. I know I will admit myself when I was growing up I was always nicer to my teachers or to my coaches than I ever was to my to my parents as I'm sure my mom would certainly tell you during, while I was growing up. Oftentimes we will ask, Rachel and I will ask Andrew's sitters who will watch him uh, to any degree of frequency, he actually behaves, he actually did this or that for you? How in the world does that work? <laughs> and the answer is always quite simply, and we realize more and more how true it is, it's simple. I'm not mom or I'm not dad. And it just kind of comes down to that. See, I'm kind of glad that Paul wrote this section that we're going to talk about today as it deals sort of with family. I'm glad that he wrote this section last. That he's given kind of all the precursor as we've been looking at different ways and different approaches to how we gain, glean the power to live out the Christian calling. Because we just might need all of those power sources that we've talked about these last couple of weeks to live this one out. Let's pray. Lord, always we thank you for the gift of your word, for what it teaches us, for what it tells us about you, for how it is embodied in Jesus Christ our Lord. It gives us all the power we need to live it out. Bless us with just a little bit more of that power today. May it transform us. May it nourish us. Amen. Passage for today concludes chapter 3 and breaks a little bit into chapter 4 of Colossians. Hear God's word. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything not only while being watched in an order to please them, but wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourself into it, as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that they have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well, that God would open to us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in prison, 
so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned today, uh, we bring about this power, power source series to its finale. And as I, I was getting ready for today, I looked at the worship calendar for that I've got planned out for the next couple of months and what is uh, on the docket, if you will. And uh, next week, we're going to actually start a series, uh, shameless plug for coming back, um, probably one of the most countercultural sections of the gospel, as we'll look at, spend a couple of weeks looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And I honestly don't think God could have chosen a better transition passage than this passage today. Uh, because in a culture that is very keen or very uh, concerned with individual liberation, Paul would have been the target for many a lynching with today's words. And so uh, we're going to break this down very systematically. Uh, and unfortunately, we won't be able to cover every little bit of it. Just a little bit of what we're going to go over. What Paul says to wives, to husbands, to children, and to workers. Those are the ones we're going to focus on. Like I said, sometimes it can be so much harder to live this, live out this calling uh, within those that were kind of contained within our family than it is those sort of on the outside or within the, the greater community. And so, we'll just start it all right off. Verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Who's put all rifles, shotguns, bayonets, guns, whatever, away. You know, I know a friend in Texas that is going to text me in about 45 seconds saying, I just got the shiver up my spine. Did you just read Colossians 3.18? Many translations, uh, this is actually one of the few that uses the phrase be subject to. Uh, many translations actually use the word submit, uh, which understandably, as we, as we often take it, can bring many people to cringe and, and to uh, say with as much gusto as we can get, get in our lungs, I don't do submit. <clears throat> well, has anybody ever come to a red light, coming up on 31 or whatever, and actually hit the brake pedal instead of the gas? You've submitted. Has anybody actually seen flashing lights behind them, hopefully not because of them, and pulled over? You've submitted. Has anybody ever sent a, tax, a uh, check to the IRS come tax day? You've submitted. That's the idea of submission, and biblically so, as Paul says in Romans 13, as, he's, as he talks about, you know, submit yourselves, be subject to the government that is, that is in place. So we all, no matter how much gusto we may want to put into a declaration that we don't submit, we all submit in one way or another. And so it can be very easy to attach uh, emotion to a verse like this, and I, I can certainly understand it. Fortunately, the person who I know, and I should probably check my phone, she probably already sent me four or five texts about this, that has made a passage like this, one that I'm like, I so don't want to go there. It's also the very same person who's, who taught me in seminary that the greatest of blessings can come from 
passages where you just don't want to go there. So we'll take a look at this in a way that uh, tries to eliminate some of that emotion, or at least tame it down, to look at what submission is and what submission isn't. Hopefully that'll get people to unload the shotguns a little bit. Submission is, biblically speaking, choosing to come up under, support, recognize a person's leadership. It is, and I use the word choosing very intentionally, because it's not, uh, this is not a concept, as Paul is writing it, that is forced on, on somebody. No matter which translation you may look at, it is one that people choose to follow, in the same way that Christ chose to submit to the Father. And we'll get into that a little bit later as we, as we look into more of what submission isn't. What submission isn't, isn't giving up the efforts to guide or influence a person's husband. Lord knows there are many brides out there, many wives out there, who are smarter than their husbands in a particular area, more gifted than their husbands in a particular area. Lord knows, uh, forever and a day, Rachel will know more about how children Andrew's age work than I ever will, no matter how many children we may have. So I love how one pastor put it so subtly to say that any husband that does not seek the insight, seek the input of his wife, is an idiot. Yes, I said, you put it so subtly. And I will recognize that, certainly, for myself. I would be an idiot if I didn't seek out what Rachel knew in the areas that she was an expert, or even if she wasn't an expert in it. What else is submission not? Submission isn't giving in to every demand. Paul says, he continues that verse, wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Just to say, if a husband were to uh, say, I want you to do something that's non-Christian, I want, you know, maybe, uh, just to draw up an example, if two unbelievers were getting, got married and the wife became a Christian before the husband, the husband said, you know what, I don't want you to go to church, or I want you to stop praying. It says right there in your Bible, Colossians 3.18, be subject to what I say. No, not quite. Christ is still the head of even every family and every member of the family. What submission isn't? Isn't inconsistent with equality in Christ. Last week we had talked about um, one of Paul's sort of money verses, I'm sorry, Galatians 3.28, where he says, uh, in Christ there's no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. And so there, there's an understanding that when it comes to salvation, everyone is equal. Everyone gets has the same access to God, whether we're male or female, whatever our background may be. So that's not what where I'm going to go with this. But I'm going to use the example, or take a different approach, to show how equality and submission can work within the Trinity. See, God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, both 100% God. Nothing changes that. They are co-equal in every way that makes them divine. Uh, the same essence of, you know, both uncreated, etc., etc. The Apostles' Creed really breaks a lot of this down if you, um, in, in its details. But what does the Son do? Especially when he... As Paul writes in Philippians 2, when he comes down, takes on human flesh, he submits 
to the Father. Just two quick examples of, of places where he does it. Out of John 6.38, where this is Jesus speaking, uh, he's giving kind of his bread of life discourse. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He submits his will, he subjects his will, says God's will, I'm going to answer to that. I'm going to use that. And in a place where it really hits the ground, to the point of blood, sweat, and tears, does the same thing in Mark 14. And in all the gospel readings that, that talk about this, Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Christ submits his will even to the avoidance of human pain. Say, I want what the Father wants, more than what I want. Did Christ's submission make him any less divine? Did Christ's submission make him inferior or any less important? Absolutely not. Same thing holds true between a husband and a wife. Husbands are most likely saying, Right now, whether they'll admit to it or not, amen, let's get on to the benediction real, real fast here. Sorry, not quite. Because husbands have just as high a calling, as he says right there in the next verse. Husbands, be loving to your wives with a divine love, which impels you to deny yourself for the benefit and stop being bitter and harsh to them. And while this isn't the translation that I normally use, um, it's well from a different translation. Uh, if you're interested in why it's different, I'll, I'll explain that kind of offline. But why do I choose this one? Because it emphasizes something that doesn't come across when we just say, love your wives. Be loving to your wives with a divine love. If you think just saying, I love you on your wedding day is enough, falls so short of the mark. Sorry, guys. Here's a parallel passage to how Paul puts it in Ephesians. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, a lot of Colossians, really, almost run in parallel with each other. And he says, give us kind of a scale of what this love looks like. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. All of a sudden, we don't get off so easy, do we? Just think about it. How exactly did Christ choose to love the church? Gave himself up for her. Went to the cross, traded his life for hers. The same word is used um, between within what Paul is saying, wives, agape your wives. Uh, I'm sorry, husbands, agape your wives. Have that selfless, divine, totally giving love. It's the same word that's used when Paul is describing what love is in First uh, Corinthians 13. Any of the times when God's love for us Christ's love for us is used, that same word is used. Agape, selfless love for your brides. And some may try to uh, hit this point, and they try to do some biblical gymnastics and everything like that, and, and they want to say, well, you know, wives were addressed first, so I'll love her that way when she submits to me. Okay, fair enough. We'll go there. How did Christ love? Again, not only by giving his life. Look what Paul says in Romans 5.8. But God proves his love in that to up for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. You could put it that way. While we were still 
enemies of God, Christ died for us. John says in his uh, first epistle, we love because God first loved us. We don't get to just wait until submission or subjection or anything like that. Husbands are called to make that first move, to love whether our wives respond or not. That's not our, our duty to make somebody else act a certain way. All we can do is control what we do. Children, let's move on to that. Part of the family order as well, and that children are called to obey their parents, to honor their parents as the wording of the, the Ten Commandments would put it, we may be a little more familiar with. Just to say, it doesn't mean they get to children, and if we still have our parents alive, we're still children of our parents. It doesn't mean we get to cherry pick the instructions that they will follow or not follow. This is in the, the context that Paul writes in uh, Ephesians 6, where parents are to raise their children up in admonition of the Lord, in, in nurture and admonition of the Lord, excuse me. That's why Paul goes very quickly to what the parents are to do in verse 21, where he says, teach your kids to obey. That's really what the word disciple means, or discipline means, is to teach, not to punish, as we often think of timeouts as or discipline as, but discipline in love so as not to break a, a child's spirit. And children who learn this, learn this obedience, this respect, within a loving context, end up being more likely to do it when they get outside of the home and in bigger and more, well, bigger context in the sense of a child who learns to obey, respect, probably not going to get expelled from school, as likely anyway, probably going to be able to keep a job when their boss says do this or do that. No, it doesn't often go over, over very well with the boss. Probably more likely to stay out of jail. Same rule applies to police officers. How about workers? In the, in the modern day equivalent, uh, workers would be the word for slaves. Uh, slaves, servants, same word. Uh, we can't think of the word worker in the way of our American history lessons of the mid-19th century, uh, where slaves had a very particular connotation to it. Uh, if you've ever had a boss in your life, if these people who are hearing this have ever had a boss, you've been a slave, you've been a servant, you've been a worker to that person. Two things about it that Paul uh, encourages workers to do. Do your job like Christ himself was the customer. If you're flipping wall burgers over at Tom Walls, flip it like the order's coming across for Jesus Christ himself. Run those TPS reports just like Jesus himself was going to be the one who reads it. All of a sudden, even in the most mundane tasks that we may have in our employment or the things we may not like to do, Changes your perspective on it. To think, well, how would I do this if Jesus Christ were the, the person who's going to receive this? You know, the receiving end of all of it. Another thing, Paul says, don't do it just for your boss's eye. Don't do good work just for your boss's eye. It's been said that a true person comes out in their the actions of what they do when they don't think anybody is looking. It's not just a matter of being a, a, a yes man or a goody two-shoes for your boss. It's being a person of integrity. That what you do when your boss is there, what you do when your boss isn't there, when they're the same, that's living a life of integrity. That's a high calling. One that can set us apart from a lot of people. 
And that makes for God-honoring testimony within our lives, within, even within the workplace. All of this, yes, is a very high call. All the stuff we've been going over over these last two weeks in the, in the practical ways that Paul says, put all this power into use and how you exist within the community, how you work within the community. Here, how you work within those that you've chosen to love. Your wife, your husband, your child. But remember, it's not all meant to be God. We're not meant to go at it alone. We have Christ, the Supreme Lord, giving us the power, giving us the blessing to be able to do it, to live it out. It's yet one more blessing of a great and glorious King. Thanks be to Him, and all glory goes to Him. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.